Welcome back to our study of the doctrine of the Trinity. In our last session, we waded a little bit deeper into the waters of the Trinity, and we talked about a doctrine we call eternal generation. And what we were looking at there was what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. And there are two things for us to note about that. One, when we talk about Jesus being the eternal Son of God, we're putting together two things that the Bible states very plainly. One is that Jesus is the Son of God. He calls himself the Son. The Father calls him the Son. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Bible is also clear, as we have seen, that Jesus is God, that he has always existed, that he is equal to the Father, that he is fully and truly God. And so how can Jesus, the Son of God, be God, be equal with God, be eternal and divine? Well, the way we put that together is we say that he is eternally begotten, or uh, we speak of eternal generation, meaning he is the Son but that does not imply that he had a beginning or that he was created, but that he has always existed as God, and yet he is the Son of God. And so that's what we looked at last time. And then I mentioned briefly at the end that we would talk about an old heresy from the early church called Arianism. Now, Arianism is something that was significant in about the 300s, what we call the 4th century of the early church, and uh, it is tied to a man named Arius. That's where the name Arianism comes from. And here's what Arius is most famous or infamous for saying. Arius said, there was a time when the sun was not, meaning that the sun has not always existed. The sun must have had a beginning. The sun there uh, is, is not eternal. And so uh, this was a, a big deal. A man named Athanasius, who was um, one of the great writers uh, and thinkers of the early church, uh, he helped to ad address this issue and uh, refute Arius's teaching. But I want you to hear what Arius had to say in his own words, and then I want us to think about um, what is wrong with what Arius is saying. Why is it not what the Bible teaches? Why is Arius's teaching about Jesus uh, contrary to Scripture? Because this is not just something from way back in church history, but there are still people today that you may encounter who will say that the Son is not eternal, that Jesus has not always existed, that he had a beginning, that he was in some way created. And so it's important for us to understand these things and understand what the Bible has to say about them. And there are times when... It seems like uh, when we get into these uh, realms of theology where we're getting into really specific things like, is the Son eternal? They can seem at times uh, like very small things, but uh, when theology, theology does its job well, it shows us that sometimes something that seems very small 
is actually very, very significant, right? There's nothing less at stake here than whether or not Jesus is really, truly God. And if Jesus is really and truly God, fully God, then we know he was able to make a complete and full sacrifice for all of our sin. But if Jesus was a creature, if he was created, if he was not eternally God, what does that do to his sacrifice? What does that do to his um, work to accomplish our salvation? It's not the same. So these are very significant things. So I want you to hear, this is uh, Arius' words. He wrote uh, a letter to a man named Eusebius of Nicomedia. And uh, in his letter, he says, you know, here's what is being taught by a bishop and here's what I'm saying and I'm being persecuted for what I'm saying because what I'm saying is different than what he's saying. So listen, listen to the difference between these two and see, let's see if we can discern which one is biblical and which one is not. Right, so here's what Arius says. The bishop greatly pillages us and persecutes us and invoking things moves against us so that he might drive us as godless men from the city. All this is because we do not agree with him when he states in public. So let's just pause there. Arius is being persecuted, he's saying, because he disagrees with what the bishop is saying. And the bishop, because Arius disagrees with him, is seeking to drive him out as somebody who's godless. And he, So here's what the bishop is saying. The bishop says, always God, always son. The bishop says, at the same time, father, at the same time, son. The son ingenerably coexists with God. And that word ingenerably is not a word that we're prone to use, but just think about this. The son coexists with God. Uh, ever begotten, ungenerated, created, neither in thought nor in some moment of time does God proceed the Son. That's significant. Neither in thought nor in some moment of time does God proceed the Son. Always God, always Son. The Son is from God himself. So all those things are things that the bishop is saying. What is the bishop trying to say? Some of the language is unusual, right? Some of the language might even sound, you know, uh, you know, you're not sure you would say it quite that way, right? But what is the bishop trying to say? That the Son is equal with God. The Son has always existed. He says he coexists with God. There was not, a, not in thought and not in a moment in time did God the Father precede God the Son. So the Son did not come after God in any sense. Always God, always Son, he says. So he's talking about the Son being eternal, being God. Right, but then here's what Arius says. He says, but what do we say and think? What have we taught and what do we teach? That the Son is not unbegotten or a portion of the unbegotten in any manner, uh, but that by the will and counsel of the Father, he subsisted before times and ages. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? The, the Son subsisted or existed before times and ages. He goes on, full of grace and truth, 
God, he calls the Son God, only begotten, that sounds biblical and right, unchangeable. But then listen to what he says next. And before he was begotten or created or defined or established, he was not. For he was not unbegotten. But we are persecuted because we say the Son has a beginning, but God is without beginning. Because of this, we are persecuted because we say the Son has a beginning, but God is without beginning. So even though he calls the Son God, he is clearly distinguishing the Son from God by saying God is unbegotten, God has no beginning, but that's not true of the Son. The Son has a beginning. Before he was begotten, Arius says, he was not. Now, if before he was begotten, he was not, is he eternal? No, by definition, he's not. And if he's not eternal, is he God? Well, not in the sense that you and I would mean he's God, right? He still uses the word God to talk about the Son, but he must mean something different than what we mean. Because when we say Jesus is God, we mean he's eternal. We mean he's always existed. Right? We talk about the, we're talking about in this study the Trinity, that one God eternally exists in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the area says, no, the Son did not eternally exist. The Son was created. So um, he affirms right, that the Son was only begotten. That's good. But then he says, before he was begotten, he was not. Right? This is why the doctrine of eternal generation that we talked about last time matters so much. Because if we don't affirm that the Son has always existed, then what we wind up with is a Son who is not really God. And if the one who took on flesh and dwelt among us and laid his life down for us was not really God, then God is not the one who saved us. If, he, if Jesus is not God in the flesh, then everything else falls apart. Right? Arianism denies that the Son is eternal. And if the Son is not eternal, then he's not equal to the Father. Right? And if he's not eternal, then there's no trinity. Right, so these things are highly problematic. We go back to John 1.1. This is the, the clearest, easiest, simplest verse to make these things clear. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, He is distinct, distinguishable from the Father. Right? The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. He was with God, right? the Son, the Word, was with God, but He also was God. Right? He's fully divine. He's eternal. He was there in the beginning because He had no beginning. And then John goes on to say that all things were created through Him, and nothing was, that was made was made without Him, which means that He was not made. 
He was not created. He did not come into existence. He did not have a beginning. There is one way um, that uh, I think theologians sometimes put it is that there, there is a line, there are two categories of things that exist. And there is a line between those two categories. And on the one side of that line, you have whatever has no beginning, was not created, did not come into existence, but simply has always existed. On the other side of that line, you have those things that have been created, that have a beginning, that are not eternal. The question we are asking is, which side of that line does the sun go on? Is he more like us, right? or is he God? Is he a creature, a created being? Even if he was the first being to be created, that still makes him a creature. That still makes him less than God. Or is he fully equal with God, fully divine, truly eternal? That is the question, and so much hangs on that question. Now, in answering that question by saying that the Son is eternally God, as I started to say at the beginning, we are not forcing anything on the Bible. We're not adding anything to the Bible. We are simply trying to put together all that the Bible says. Oftentimes, false teachings come from emphasizing one set of verses from the Bible while ignoring or explaining away another set. So there are verses in the Bible uh, that um, might make it sound like Jesus was created or had some kind of beginning, right? You just take the, the Son language. If we only took the verses that talked about Jesus as the Son of God, and we said, well, sons come after their fathers, and sons are not equal to their fathers, then that must mean that Jesus came after, the son came after the father, and then the son is not equal to the father. But we also have verses that say, he was in the form of God. He was God. He is God. Jesus himself says in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. Right? As we said before, that doesn't mean he simply existed a long time before Abraham. He's taking for himself, using for himself, because it's his, the divine name, I am, that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus is saying, I am God. I have always existed. I simply do exist which is only true of God. And so if we emphasize the son verses and say, therefore, Jesus must, the son must have had a beginning, the son must not be equal to the father, we have to ignore or explain away the verses that say Jesus is God. He was in the form of God. He uh, always existed. He is the I am. He was in the beginning not only with God, but he was God. What we don't want to do is treat the Bible that way, where we ignore or explain away one half of the verses or one set of the verses. What we want to do instead is say, how can we put together the fact that the Bible says the Son 
is God, always existed, is the I am, was in the form of God before he took on flesh, meaning he was equal with God, he's the exact imprint of God's nature, he's the radiance of his glory, all those things that indicate his full and true divinity, how do we put those things together with the verses that say Jesus is the Son, the Son of God? Well, the way we put it together is by what we talked about last time, eternal generation. That he is an eternal son, the only eternal son. That he was not created, he did not come after the Father, he does not have a beginning. He is an eternal son. He is the divine son. And when we uh, fail to put those things together, we're going to end up with something like Arianism. We're going to end up with some misunderstanding, some misrepresentation of who Jesus is. And that's not what we want to do. So it's important for us to be aware of heresies like Arianism. So when you encounter something like this, and you may not encounter exactly the same thing, but you will probably encounter something like it at some point if you haven't already, where somebody says something along these lines that Jesus was created or Jesus had a beginning or he's not really equal with God or, or the doctrine of the Trinity is not what the Bible says or not what the Bible teaches or whatever. Uh, when you encounter that, one, you recognize that it's not new and two, you recognize that it's not doing justice to all the verses of the Bible. So I hope that helps you understand not only what Arianism was, but also why it's significant for us to understand today, and also help you see why it's so important that we affirm that Jesus is the Son of God, and not only the Son of God, but the eternal Son of God, that He is truly and, uh, truly and perfectly divine. God bless. See you next time.